Like Aaron said, my name's Anthony Brewer, and um, years ago I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder and depression and PTSD. Got out of the Marines, and it was just it was just hard to deal with life. And so I graduate next year in the spring, and uh, you know I'm just looking forward to just helping people. I love biblical counseling. Um, I love psychology. I love um, talking about it. And uh, at Dallas Christian College, I've been able to refine my approach to psychology and hopefully get into. Um, I know Joy's like loves that stuff too, um, but get into maybe a clinic or something and really help people um, know how much God loves them and watch the Word change their lives. And I've seen it in the lives of the students at Dallas Christian College, and it's amazing. I, it never gets old. I really understand uh, those kind of issues. So, a little bit about me: I'm a retired Marine, of course. Um, I was in infantry, so I got to drive tanks. Um, they're kind of like tanks. They're called LAVs. And the cool thing about them is, is they don't have the track, so we can take them into the water, and they can float. Still have the turret. Still got to fire those suckers, and, man, they were awesome. Uh, in infantry. <laughs> oh, gosh, help me. Um, so, <laughs> um, well, I always like to start off with some fun facts whenever I teach. And so, I love to research. It's part of my job, but I just love to do it. I love to learn um, and, and share that information with people. So I got some fun facts for you tonight that I thought just kind of start us off in, in thinking and, and kind of prime us up. Um, so here's one. Did you know the total weight of all ants on earth is greater than the total weight of all humans on the planet? I was, I was like, man, I don't know if that's right. I have to check that out. But, yeah, I guess there's a lot of ants. Um, here's one that's kind of funny. Did you know, um, so Frederick Bauer, he invented Pringles, right? He invented the chip and the can. Well, when he passed away in 2008, he was buried in a Pringles can. (laughs) She knows that back there. I just thought that was funny. And I was like, okay, well, I guess you really love Pringles, you know? (laughs) Um, did you know a mosquito has 47 teeth? No one likes mosquitoes. But now I don't like him even more. So I'm probably going to spray my yard uh, tomorrow. (laughs) Um, Did you know a mouse can fit through a hole the size of a ballpoint pen? Man, we don't like mouse, uh, mice, or rats in the brewer house. I can tell you some stories, but I won't because you're eating. So here's one. Here, uh, did you know cotton candy was invented by a dentist? Now you know where your money's going, you know? Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and it says here, um, another one I found was humans share 50% of their DNA with bananas. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But that was, that was part of their research. So I don't know how much of that is 100%. Um, but here's one that I thought was really strange. Vending machines kill four times as many people as sharks per year. So next time you put your dollar in that Coke machine, you better watch your back. <laughs> anyway, I thought, that was, I thought that was some interesting things. I don't know how much data is behind that, but uh, I thought that was funny. And then I have a joke. I promised Austin I'd tell it. Who is the best comedian in the Bible? Samson, because he brought the house down. <laughs> Judges. A little, little Bible nerd humor there. <laughs> well, tonight we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Wow, Corinthians, man. 
There's a lot going on in those letters, isn't there? They're long, Paul's longest letters. They're two of four. A um, couple other letters, of course, lost. Um, but these two letters, they cover so much. Um, it's, it's just a lot of different things. And, and, and in this, at this portion of the second uh, letter to the Corinthians, it kind of takes a switch a little bit. And it goes from kind of dealing with some issues and, 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 of course, talking about, you know, biblical instruction, how to live the Christian life, and answering some of the Corinthians' questions. But it also uh, kind of switches. And now we're going to see the Apostle Paul kind of under attack here. Yeah. So, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Yeah. It's not fun, is it? What about, have you ever boasted about yourself? I think we all can identify with that. Have you ever compelled yourself to others? Have you ever compared yourself? I think we kind of do that naturally, don't we? Compare ourselves to others. Not, not good, not a good thing, but it's kind of some things that we default to, you know? Um, so tonight we're going we're gonna to look at this, this message I'm titling is Responding in Love. So we're going to see how Paul does it, which is, wow, if anybody's going to, you know, if anybody's going to uh, model him, I mean, definitely he'd be one to do. Um, so kind of like a, a verbal boxing match, if you will. So you've got, you've got the Apostle Paul over here in this corner, and you've got these super apostles over here, super apostles. We'll see how super they are in a second. Um, so th- the problem is, is these guys, they don't, they don't realize that, that <laughs> well, maybe they do, but they don't care. They're dealing with God's anointed apostle. I mean, we're talking about Paul on the, you know, conversion on the road to Damascus, 35 AD. You know, um, we're talking about giving the, giving the gospel message to go to the Gentiles. You know, we're talking about um, a guy who was, you know, the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee trained in the law, and then totally, you know, going out and, and breathing threats and putting Christians in prison and then switches his life through, uh, you know, the power of Christ and then goes out and spreads the gospel to the world and establishes all these churches. I mean, that's this corner. And then these super apostles, well, they think they're super, right? They're boasting in their self. They're comparing themselves to Paul, right? That's not a good thing to do. You know, you just can't do that. You can't compare yourself to someone else because God made you unique in yourself. You have special gifts. And, and surely, I don't know what they were thinking, comparing themselves to Paul. So I think that they started harboring some feelings of, of hatred, and they just started to get jealousy and let the enemy come in and really start to take them down a path that no Christian wants to go down, right? So the summary, if I could sum it all up, this message would be that believers should follow Christ-like leaders like Paul and boast only in the Lord. So let's look at uh, some of the background for this book because I love this stuff. I love the history. I love the culture. I love the socioeconomical things they deal with and challenges. Um, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm in Joseph. I'm in an Old Testament class that's just beating me down right now. And I'm coming to the end of it, so thank the Lord for that. But I'm just so involved with this stuff right now. Um, so 55, 56 A.D. is when the letter is written. Paul's visited the church in 50, 52 uh, in Corinthians his first time, and that's really where uh, the Spirit of God started to work and, and, 
and his visit there. Um, Corinth was this like port town, really thriving. It was, you know, ships coming through. It was on a major trade route. And so you have a lot of money coming through. You have a lot of wealth. You have a lot of different people, a lot of diversity, a lot of sexual immorality, right? And a lot of idolatry and false God worship. Um, so this was a city that, you know, really at the, at the essence of it is Corinthian culture at odds against and in conflict with Christian values. And so we can kind of relate to that today, right? American culture at odds with Christian values. And we see it all day long when we, you know, when we flip on the news or we read a newspaper or we look at social media, um, we see all kinds of crazy things happening in our culture and how desperate it is for the Word of God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to read this. I kind of read it differently. I've got the HCSB on purpose tonight. I know we use the um, ESV and some other translations, but I wanted you to see some words that might be a little different to your translation that, that you use. And so um, I thought this did a real good job at using some of those words. So I'm going to start Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, make a personal appeal. Notice that. He's making a personal appeal. He's not bringing in any other people. It's Paul here, and he's doing that on purpose. Make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. Right, um, I who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are behaving in an unspiritual way. It's katasarks. That's what it is in the Greek. And that's pretty serious words. All right. I want to come back to that, though. Verse 3. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed." Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should, re- he should remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ or she belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast some more about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I am not ashamed. I don't want to seem as though I'm trying to terrify you with my letters. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak. And his public speaking is despicable. It's a strong word for Paul, isn't it? Such a person should consider this. Um, What we are in words of our letters when absent, we will be in action when present. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some or condemn them or condemn them who condemn themselves, but in mean measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves. They lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you. Since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ, we are not bragging beyond measure about other people's labors, but we have the hope that is your faith, uh, that as your faith increases, our area of ministry 
will be greatly enlarged so that we may proclaim the good news to the regions beyond you, not boasting about what has already been done in someone else's ministry. So here's the key verse. So the one who boasts most must boast in the Lord, for it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Such a change. These guys are commending themselves. They're, they're using these, you know, philosophical arguments, trying to build up, you know, their case. They're accepting money for ministry, which Paul never did, right? He was a what? He made, that's right, he made tents. He, he, he made his own way, you know, and, and he didn't take money from the church. So these guys are really um, just... They're, they're going down the wrong path. And now they've challenged Paul's apostolic authority with false accusations, saying that, you know, in your letters, you talk a big game, basically. But, but when, you're, when you're here with us, you're kind of weak, man. But that's not true. We know Paul's not, right? And that's why he starts off his letter with gentleness and graciousness. So The first point I have here, first of all, if we elect to defend ourselves against false accusations, we must remember that we are in a different category than Paul. That's what these guys fail to do. Uh, He had a calling, a special calling, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, and that was verified by signs and wonders and miracles. Um, Chapter 12, verse 12 touches that. His calling was also affirmed by uh, the apostles in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council in and, and those guys, Acts 15 um, and Galatians 2, 9 touches that. Um, so we can't compare ourselves to Paul here. Um, he's verified, right? Paul could, he could have dealt with these uh, false apostles hatefully. Um, he could have gathered his missionary team. He certainly had several, right? Um, Timothy and, and Titus and, man, a bunch of guys. And he could have came to Corinth, gathered his team together, and just kicked these guys out of the church and just ran them out of town, right? But he doesn't do that, right? He had the authority to to pretty much end their church membership permanently. I mean, this is Paul here, you know? Um, But he chose to act in meekness and kindness, and that's an example for us to follow in dealing with these guys that are false accusing him, okay? The second point I have is, If at all possible, we should allow others to defend us, right? Our own brothers and sisters in the faith and show that we've been falsely accused, okay? Even Paul appealed to those who knew him well, such as Timothy and Titus. We see that in 1 Corinthians 4.17. Let other people um, defend you, right? Paul could have called together all the church leaders and his team and, and he could have got this big, you know, judge and jury setting in, in this big courtroom, and he could have, you know, called them all together and put these guys on trial, you know? He could have done that, but he didn't. Paul's response of humility was not to be equated with his lack of authority. That's important, right? Humility is how Paul came, and graciousness and meekness. That didn't mean he lacked authority. That didn't mean he was weak. That means that God's Spirit is definitely on him, And that's how he operated, right? And that's important. Um, And but that was also for a reason, because Paul was always on mission. It's to draw these guys. Now they're falsely accusing him, saying all kind of crazy things about him. Um, But he wanted to deal with them gently, so he could bring them to repentance, right? 
And that's how what Jesus says, right? To pray for your enemies, right? To forgive them. And then thirdly, we should always practice gentleness and graciousness of Christ, right? Just like Paul did. Though Paul appears to be harsh in his defense to the Corinthians, uh, we must remember he was attempting to save these believers from being destroyed um, by evil leaders who were posing as apostles. He's, he's thinking about the church. He's thinking about the Corinthians, right? And he wants to save them from these guys. Um, Paul's desire uh, for his accusers is to be reconciled to Christ and to his spiritual leadership. That's what he wants for these guys. Um, so let's take about five minutes or so, and I've got some handouts on your uh, tables that I brought. And if you'll take some time to stay, if you'll just take some time to look at those handouts, there's some questions on there, and start talking about those. Um, it's only really five questions. It's not really that big a deal, but I really like to, to really uh, get you thinking about this text, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll meet you back in a minute. All right, well, let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and start uh, answering some of these questions. So question one, what were the words of Paul's accusers? Anybody have that? <laughs> hey, I'm not going to argue with that, <laughs> but behaving in an unspiritual way. Okay, uh, how did Paul respond to being falsely accused? Yeah, I mean, I know some of these are obvious, but it's in the text. So, yeah, what was that? Hey, if he's got to be bold, he's going to be bold, isn't he? He'll deal with these guys. He's definitely doing it here. Uh, question number three, have you, or no, what is it? D, yes, repentance, absolutely. And then what about, there's a couple of true and false. What is number four? I know that's obvious, isn't it? To us, obviously, these super apostles missed that. <laughs> so what about number five, true or false? false? That's right, absolutely. So let's look at it real quick. Let's look at the text again and see why these answers, let's, let's just take a look and see. So what were, what were the words of the false accusers? So if we look here, we're going to see that um, they were behaving in an unspiritual way. I talked about katasarks, and that's what they said. Paul was doing, okay? He was walking, he was living according to the flesh, which means kind of when you break it down in definition is that you're in rebellion to God, you're living sinfully. Paul's living sinfully. That's what they're saying. I don't think so. Um, so those are pretty serious words, you know, and so Paul's definitely got to be bold, you're right, and, and write this letter in this chapter and deal with these guys. Um, and, and really look out for his Christians, uh, his believers in, at this church here. Uh, what about number two? So how did he respond? It kind of says that in the first part of this letter uh, chapter. He says, I make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. Gentleness and graciousness. So that's really what Paul's about. That's a, really the opposite of what these their approach, these uh, super apostles um, to Paul, isn't it? And so, number three, um, repentance. That's really what his desire is for, is for, you know, not to kick these guys out of church, not to end their church membership, not to really, you know, 
destroy them in a way spiritually. He wants them to come back to faith and come back to the right path and to really be restored and, and come back also, though, under his leadership as, you know, this, this uh, of God's apostle and this church leader. Uh, he wants that for them as well. So really different from their, their behavior. And then boasting in the Lord, I talked about that key verse, right? That's really important here because these guys are boasting in themselves, right? What does it say in the text here is that they measure themselves and compare themselves of themselves. And because they do this, they lack understanding. So, you know, you can come with all kind of philosophical arguments. The great philosophical minds, Socrates, to know thyself, and his, uh, his student Plato, you know, talking about um, justice in his work in the Republic and how important it is for justice to, for the different working classes, basically. It's good. It's a good thing. It's a just thing for people to work and to contribute to society. And that's part of what makes a good society, a just society. But still, that's not good enough, right? And then Aristotle, you know, this is the same time frame here as is, is they would know all these things, and that's just not good enough. That's not going to hold up. Those clever arguments aren't going to hold up against God's truth. Um, but also comparing themselves to, uh, to Paul, that's the wrong road to go down. We can't compare ourselves to others, and I know we do this all the time. We'll get on social media maybe, or, or we'll get on the newspaper or, or the Internet. I guess we don't really have newspapers anymore. And, uh, and we'll look at people and we'll say, wow, man, I really wish I had that dude's muscles. Or I wish I was really smart as that person. Um, or, man, they get, there's just such great, nice clothes and just, you know, they got this car and all this stuff. But we're looking at all these external factors and we're not thinking about internal factors, right? And we're going back to the way the world thinks. And so we just can't do that. Um, as Christians, we need to always remember that we can't see the whole story. Internally, there's some things going on with people that we can't... Excuse me. I've been sick this week. Um, thank you. So we just can't do that. Um, so what I wanted to bring to you, kind of bring this back around to how it can apply to our lives, um, is this... I'm going to do it again. You made me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can hear them coming now. Uh, Biblical Conflict Resolution 101. If you're taking notes, this is some good stuff. And you might, I mean, some of this stuff is obvious, I know, and but this is some of the stuff that you're going to learn in business and psychology and just in life. But more importantly, in Scripture, you're going to learn these things and how to deal with, just like Paul, following his model, in Christ-likeness, and, um, and really deal with this conflict that he's facing. So, number one, every approach, uh, always approach every situation with prayer. We know that. Saturate it with prayer. Someone falsely accuses you at work. I know I have been. Um, pretty serious stuff. You know, you can lose your job and, and all kind of stuff. Um, automatically start praying. And just fill that whole situation with prayer. Um, that's, that's super important. Seek godly counsel. Get with some people, number two. Seek godly counsel. Get with some people that you know that their hearts and lives reflect Christ. Um, 
super important to get godly wisdom. I think it's Proverbs that talks about how important it is to get uh, abundance in, in counseling, right? Um, let's see. Number three, always respond in love. That's what Paul did. He responds with gentleness and graciousness. And he starts off his letter, his appeal, that way. And I think that's important to, to approach the situation in gentleness and graciousness. So uh, always respond in love. Also, he acknowledges the issue, right? He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't neglect it. He doesn't, um, you know, just kind of say, well, maybe it'll go away. No, Paul knows how bad this situation can be and, and just continuing in the church, not a good thing because that's where it's happening. It's not happening at work, really, right? It wouldn't be happening at work. Well, I guess Paul is apostle, it would be, but um, it's happening in the church and we see it maybe how it applies at our jobs, you know, being falsely accused. So he acknowledges the issue with boldness, right? Um, and compr- confront the per- uh, confront. I can talk. Confront the person gently, like Paul does, right? Confront them gently. Number, I don't know what number that is. Five. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate that. Confront the person gently. That's where he starts off the letter with, and that's how Paul's going to deal with. He's going to deal with them in love. He knows that there's, these are serious allegations against him, but he's going to respond that way. And he's going to confront them gently because he knows he's got to initiate this, right? And then um, deal with these guys and, and write this chapter. And then number six, try to come to an agreement if possible. You, you acknowledge the issue. You confront them gently in love, of course, praying beforehand, and you want to try to come to some kind of agreement. You acknowledge the issue, and you want to, you want to come to that agreement, and that's between both parties. You may not get that from the other party. They may not acknowledge their, their responsibility. Um, they may just talk trash behind your back, you know. Um, can't really do anything about that. But you can confront them gently and say, this is what I'm hearing, you know. And so um, that's important. And then number seven, try to come. No, I just said that. Um, If needed, find a godly mediator who is trusted by both parties, right? Conflict mediation. Dr. Potter does that at SMU. I learned some things from him, which was interesting about dispute resolution. Um, This is an important thing. This is, might be a little tricky, but if you can do it, get someone godly to mediate between you two and maybe sit at the same table with you. Maybe it's over coffee. Maybe it's something like that, but, but, but find a godly uh, mediator if all possible or someone that at least you know that both can be trusted and you can find some resolution with the issue, right? And that might be both your bosses. Uh, I know that's happened for me. Um, but of course, if nothing can be resolved, just pray for them and trust God. That's all you can do at the end of the day with that kind of situation. And Paul, in his, in this chapter, this letter switches from dealing from, from dealing with different things, motivations in giving in chapter nine, a cheerful giving. And in, in chapter 11, he's going to deal with these, uh, he's going to identify and really deal with these false apostles in, in chapter 11 as well. Workers of, what does it say? Deceit. Um, so those are some great things that have worked for me, working for Target for 16 years and human resources. Man, I've seen a lot. 
of stuff, and I know you guys have too, uh, maybe in your in your professions as well. But these are some things that that have really helped me, and uh, just applying God's word and prayer, 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 always um, has come away on top. So here's here's kind of the takeaway here: when we're falsely accused, it's not wrong to defend ourselves. Okay, it's not wrong to do that. You can't feel guilty for wanting to defend yourself. But when we do, we should always reflect the fruit of the Spirit, right? Gentleness, kindness, meekness, right? All that good stuff. Um, we shouldn't compare ourselves to others because we're unique, like I talked about. We're unique, and we need to appreciate those things. We all have gifts. We all have things to contribute. We all have, uh, we may be on the same mission to spread the gospel, but we all have unique approaches and unique, way, unique ways to do that maybe. Maybe it's sports ministry, or maybe it's biblical counseling, or maybe it's worship. Uh, but we're all on the same mission, and so we need to appreciate that, and that will prevent us, right, from comparing ourselves to others and really um, going down a path that, that leads to nowhere good, nowhere good, right? Uh, so circle back to the main point. Believers should follow Christ-like leaders and boast only in the Lord. That's the key verse tonight. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. What does that mean? Boasting is glorification, right? Glorify the Lord. This is what God's doing in my life. This is what God has done in their life. Not this is what I did in my life, you know. It's okay to get recognition. Sure, we get give recognition at work um, for, a, you know, a job well done. But, but as Christians, our focus is always on Christ. What is he doing in our lives? What has he done? He's brought us this far. He's brought me through drug addictions and um, anxiety disorder, which I, I just, I won't believe that about my life. You know, it takes a lot to, to teach and to, you know, it takes a lot out of you emotionally and to prepare and, and all those things. But I won't let those things get between me and what God's called me to do. And that's what each and every one of us, like Jerry was talking about tonight, stepping out of your comfort zone. I don't want to be comfortable because I want to lay my head down at night knowing that I serve the Lord with all my heart and I loved him and I loved people because people matter to me. Amen. All right, so here's the challenge I have for you for the week. <clears throat> How do you respond when, those, when people falsely accuse you? How do you respond? How have you respond? Are you comparing yourself to others? And who do you boast in? Are you boasting in the Lord? Let me, uh, let me close with, with this um, Let me close with this. Um, working with Target for 16 years in leadership and really going from the bottom up, I, I, before I knew Christ, I mean, I, I really talked a good game, you know, um, about this is what I did. Look at me. I got all these awards, and I got promoted really quickly, and I got to the highest level you can get in a store, and and I did a lot of great things, and it was all about me, 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 right? And it was all about commending myself, and that's what these guys did here. And it's not good, and, it, and, and at the end of the day, you're still left empty, aren't you? Because you know that that's not from God, is it? And we want the Lord's approval, right? Amen. All right. Well, let me pray for us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, this was great. Let me pray for us tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for just this time to to get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and to really just 
take a look at your word and to learn from leaders like Paul that you sent forth in his example for us to follow um, in Christ's likeness. Lord, we thank you. Um, I pray, Lord, for, you know, when we're falsely accused that, you know, when people would speak lies against us, that we wouldn't respond in hatefulness, that we wouldn't respond in retaliation, but we would respond in love. God, I pray as followers of Christ that we would model boldness yet gentleness like your servant Paul did. Help us, God, to fight and to fight darkness with light and to exemplify Christ to those in our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in our pastor's class and whether that's anxiety, depression, PTSD, or health issues, financial, whatever that is, God, that you would move this week in a powerful way and meet their need, God, and just have another testimony in in your kingdom. And if there's a lesson for us to learn in our struggles, God, I pray that we wouldn't, that, that we wouldn't stop with that, that we would learn something in the struggle and that we wouldn't just come through it expecting to get out of the mess, but that we would learn through the mess and that you would give us comfort and peace through our struggles, God. But overall, I pray that your will would be done in our life. Please bless us and protect us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.